Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast, Richard Lane on Wednesday, December the 19th, with the last podcast of 2012. I can hear you all snivelling and crying into your handkerchiefs. We'll be back with you in the new year. But just to say, season's greetings and all best wishes from the Lancet for 2013. As previewed in previous podcasts, this podcast is part three of our Global Burden of Diseases podcast project. In the first two podcasts that were posted last week, you heard the Lancet's editor, Richard Horton, give the background and overview to this enormous global health project. And in the second podcast, you heard the main architect, author of GBD, Professor Christopher Murray from the Institute of Health Metrics and Evaluation, give some details up coming out of the seven research articles published in the mammoth triple issue of The Lancet that covers the Christmas and New Year period. And in this final podcast, you're going to hear the thoughts of Richard Horton and also a panel of experts, including Chris Murray, who attended the Global Burden of Diseases conference held in London last Friday, December the 14th. Out of this vast project, which is flagging up positive things, such as the fact we're living for 10 years longer than we were on average globally compared with 1990. The fact that maternal and child deaths are decreasing, good news, contracted by the fact that the Global Burden of Disease Project shows clearly how chronic diseases are playing a much bigger part in global morbidity and mortality. And the very sobering fact that whilst we may be living longer, we're spending more time living with illness and disability. So with the take-home messages and what happens next, let's hear first of all from Richard Horton, and then he will introduce some of the panel that are featured in this podcast. Just to say as well that if you're interested in in the conference that was held last Friday, video files will be made available through thelancet.com shortly. What does all this mean? That's what we're going to ask in this final session. So we have a stellar panel, some of whom you've seen before, but we have a new member of the panel, and I'm going to briefly introduce each of them. The first member of the panel, and I love her business card, because her business card puts everything in the right order. Dr. Christine Kasebasata, the first thing she says is, obstetrician and gynaecologist. And then it says, first lady <laughs> of the Republic of Zambia. I like that. And then, of course, we have Mickey Chopra, head of health at UNICEF. We have Tori Goodell, advisor to Prime Minister of Norway, Jane Halton, who basically runs Australia. And we have Christian Baeza, who used to run the World Bank and is now at McKinsey. And we have this chap at the end, I can't remember his name. And that person Richard's referring to is none other than Professor Chris Murray. Right, now, the first question I want to... I'm going to just ask two questions. and We're going to do one each and go, go up and down the panel. And then, really, it's up to you. And really, this is about what, is this, what does it all mean? So the first question I'm going to ask our panel is... What is your one overriding conclusion or impression from today's meeting? And I'm going to ask our resident obstetrician and gynaecologist, (laughs) First Lady from Zambia, to give her initial remarks. It's been very interesting listening to the presentations throughout uh, the... Uh, the, the morning and the afternoon, and you know, I'm putting the in a fix because it's asked for one thing that stands out. One of the issues, uh, maybe from the from the perspective of my being an obstetrician, women have always been central to my thinking, and looking at the data and the burden that has been presented. While it's very good to start influencing policy dialogue, to start up policy dialogue, for me, um, my concern really is uh, where are we putting women's health? 
I mean, are we masking women's health, adolescent health, in the whole mm. uh, aura of uh, the global burden of disease? And what does this mean for finding opportunities towards uh, women's health, and especially in sub-Saharan Africa, where you have to really take into consideration the social gender disparities that are um, you know, existing? What is this going to, to, to be able to, to do to, to the women in Africa, to the adolescents? Uh, one of the, I think, presenters uh, talked about the, um, the, the need to focus on the adolescent and the young adults. For a long time, they've been ignored. But we know for certain that a lot of things that tend to happen in adult, adulthood are as a result of the way we manage the adolescent, the way we manage the childhood. We're talking about obesity. Obesity starts from very young, and if we do not correct it, it will transcend into uh, adulthood. So really, there's need uh, to desegregate the data that we have, especially in sub-Saharan Africa, which really depends on data to inform policy. We need to start desegregating the data and be able to tease out the important uh, uh, issues that affect women. Otherwise, there's also a danger that the global world will also focus on uh, ischemic heart diseases and yeah. give out maternal mortality. Mickey. One um, overriding impression for me is one of the potential of this huge amount of work to forward our joint agendas. As you know, uh, we're leading a, a, a big movement called the Promise Renewed, which is really saying that we can end preventable child deaths by, uh, by 2035. And that one of the first sort of steps that we're encouraging and, and, and working with, uh, with, with partners around is to re-engage stakeholders, first ladies, policymakers at the national level to re-look at their burden of disease, re-look at the causes of death, and re-look at where and why children are dying. So the, the richness of this analysis uh, will be a, a real uh, driver and push behind that. But obviously, for that to happen, as we talked about this morning, the need for us to have that transparency and sharing of, of data sources and looking at the assumptions, picking the best way forward and picking the best quality data is going to be critical. So I'm very excited, potentially, uh, if there is such a thing. <laughs> um, to, to, to really uh, use the, you know, ride this wave of, 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 of investment that's been made in a, in a way of really engaging at the national level and, and absolutely, as the First Lady said, to try and to, to hone in um, on the, the very different messages that will come when you look at specific population groups in particular. And it is a worry of mine that the, the big messages, someone told me the headline yesterday was obesity more important than hunger. Um, that we lose, that we that we don't lose some of the unfinished agenda that is still affecting the most poorest and vulnerable, um, and that's not the fault of the study. It's the way in which we're packaging and looking and using this data, uh, and getting so getting to the signal um, uh, and, and trying to, to get out the noise is going to be critical for us. Thank you, Mickey. Christian. Thank you very much. Two small, three, uh, very brief reasons. One, I see a new model of collaboration. Uh, that is really shaking the governance of mm. global health uh, discussion. I used to be the health health in one of the multilaterals, and there is a sort of a, a feeling that we own, you know, we have the uh, authority to own it forever. And mm. I think this is shaking it, and actually it's really welcome. And you also introduce a doses of independence to the assessment of what's happening in, in, in health and the impact of health. The second uh, take home for me is 
the impressive reduction in mortality, but the increased effort of uh, tremendous increase in the relative importance of disabilities. For me, doing a parallel with macroeconomics, uh, the 70s, the 80s, the early 90s were all about you know, controlling inflation, very macro controls. Mm. And then today is all about micro. It's how do you do inclusive uh, growth, uh, inclusive effective growth and, and, and competitive uh, growth. So I believe that this moment and this uh, study is marking a point which likely we are going to move from the sort of the microeconomics of epidemiology, talking about mortality, which mm -hmm. has been driving our conversation, to the microeconomics of, of, uh, of public health, which is how do we tackle now not only keeping people alive, but be keeping people healthy. Mm -hmm. And my hope is that we will be talking about health, uh, not only about healthcare. And uh, the fact that it's difficult, it doesn't mean that we should not talk about it. It is not our scope. It's interesting for many, many years for to me to hear that ministers of health define themselves as ministers of medical care, and that health is our scope. Mm. My mm. third uh, uh, takeaway message here is that I think it has huge implications for development. Mm. And uh, I will use the, the little piece of left heart I have saying that <laughs> for me the global health, the, the global burden of disease, it has a huge implication on fairness and justice in the allocation of development uh, health assistance. I believe that this piece of work allows uh, once and for all to move away from the notion that if you have a fantastic advocacy, uh, advocacy machine, you will get the money. If you don't, you don't. You will not get it. Mm. It gives voice to those who do not have voice. It gives voice to uh, um, the evidence base of who are actually in need of the resources we need to allocate. So for that, I would like to really thank uh, IHME and Lancet, and personally you, uh, Richard, and Chris, because it's beyond global uh, burden of disease. We've been doing this for a long time, <laughs> bringing voice to those who do not have voice in development assistance for health. In a speech delivered last month, Helen Clark, who's the administrator of UNDP, gave a warning. What you've heard today has been very much about how we take data and, tra and translate them into some kind of policy practice programs. But she warned us that many of our existing institutions, including institutions that we hold dear to our heart in the multilateral community, are not working as well as they should be. This is Helen Clark speaking, not me speaking. Helen Clark's words were, in her speech, that too many of our multilateral processes are characterized by paralysis, minimal, minimal outcomes, and failure. So the challenge for us is how we use our existing institutions to most effectively do this translation work. There is a fantastic opportunity that is before us over the next 12 months. And that, at least for me, is the opportunity of universal health coverage. This week, on Wednesday, a UN resolution was passed by consensus, adopted specifically around universal health co coverage, inviting all member states of the United Nations, encouraging all member states of the United Nations to take up the cause of universal coverage and recommending universal health coverage as a major objective of the post-2020 
2015 Sustainable Development Era. And they specifically put out an injunction to the World Health Organization and the World Bank and other UN agencies to come together to work to that end. The Global Burden of Disease Project is a fantastic instrument to support that longer-range political objective of universal health coverage. And universal health coverage is not just a technical thing about health services. It is about a rights, justice and equity approach to health. So if we use the next 12 months wisely, if we put Chris in the IHME and GBD term on planes around the world, we could see what you've been discussing today as a lever to get to that incredible political objective that is just before us. Many, many years ago, in 400 or so BC, an ancient Greek politician, Pericles, said this, what you leave behind is not what is engraved in stone monuments, brackets, or even in the Lancet, but what is woven into the lives of others. Weaving the global burden of disease into the lives of others has to be our common objective. We began today, let's continue tomorrow. Well, there's a rousing way to end 2012. Let's look forward to 2013. Season's greetings from The Lancet.